As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. On this edition of the Cubs Talk Podcast, our Cubs insider Gordon Wittenmeyer and I discuss the impending labor strife. Can they come to an agreement financially to get Major League Baseball back on the field? Can the Cubs navigate some very choppy financial waters? Let's play two. Welcome to our Cubs Talk podcast here on NBC Sports Chicago with my guy, the great Gordon Wittenmeyer, our Cubs insider. I'm David Kaplan, our producers, Jeff Nelson and Tony Gill. And our podcast is always brought to you by the great people at Wintrust, home of Cubs checking. All right, Gordon, so we've got the owners agreeing amongst themselves to a new plan for the financial side of the return of baseball. But then we have multiple people, including our own Adam Hogue, coming out saying, yeah, that has zero chance of passing. You've been around the game a long time, so have I. What do you think about this financial plan of a 50-50 revenue split? Yeah, Cap, we've talked about this a little bit. Adam's story um, uh, hinges on the revenue sharing portion of that proposal by MLB. And as we know uh, from the history of labor negotiations and labor issues with baseball, uh, revenue sharing is, is code for salary caps. And, and that's, uh, that's a non-starter when it comes to the players and the union. So that's a big part of what that is. There's also a lot of animosity built up the last few years with the slow free agent markets, the, the arbitrarily low luxury taxes, which by the way, the players signed off on in the last CBA. But, but when uh, MLB started really flexing their, their muscle on that and, and causing, causing literally uh, average salary declines for two years in a row at a time where revenues were increasing. It woke up a lot of young players to age-old issues between owners and, and the union that are coming to roost right now. They were, they were, this was already a, a, a negative, uh, distrustful climate that was heading into negotiations for the next collective bargaining agreement. And because of the pandemic and what it's done to revenues and, and the fact that they've got to try to come up with some kind of an emergency agreement, it is a worst case scenario for getting an agreement like that done. All right, let me read you something from a very good source of mine in MLB who said, 
Look, the Cubs are uniquely harmed by this situation. And by the way, Buster only said they may be in the worst position financially of all the teams in the game right now other than the Marlins. Says the Cubs are uniquely harmed by the situation. 70% of their money comes from the local revenue of ticket sales, etc. They have a private stadium, not a city-built stadium. They maintain their own overhead, property taxes, a recent billion-dollar investment into the community. Their new channel, the revenue, was not going to be even what they made in their previous deal with NBC Sports Chicago in year one to begin with, even if totally successful. It will only make up 15%. The gate for the Cubs and the game day experience is where the dollars are. The hotel and the retail doesn't even cover Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, well, your source is clearly uh, a management source. And and I would say that the only thing that I would trust uh, in that entire scenario is that the marquee network, because they're starting now, that was not going to be a moneymaker initially. It was because there's all the startup costs, all the capital costs. And, and the fact that they're not able to broadcast games out of the chute makes it just a black hole for, for lost money. Um, so I do agree with that. And they are unique in that way in baseball where there, there are 3 million at- attendance a year uh, entity th- with very high ticket prices. So their ticket sales are higher than most, if not all teams. But the only reason their TV isn't keeping pace or exceeding that is because of the unique timing of starting their marquee network. Across the game, Broadcast revenues uh, for years now, for a decade or more now, uh, have exceeded, for the first time in history, attendance revenues uh, across the game. So uh, I think this sounds like a negotiating position as much as anything, a, a sort of a, a, messaging, uh, a, a messaging text, I guess, to, for, for your source to try to uh, try to try to make the public uh, sympathize with the owners. When you look at the Cubs situation, and that's what we're dealing with here, the Cubs, let's forget the Yankees and the Yes Network and the Red Sox with Liverpool soccer in the Premier League and Roush Racing and NASCAR. Like, they make a ton of money outside the walls. When you look at just the Cubs, are they, do you agree with Buster, that the Cubs are in the worst position financially of any of the major market teams because of the billion dollars into renovations, the failure to get marquee up and running earlier, and so they don't have a deal with Xfinity, all of that. Do you agree the Cubs are in a really tough spot? I think they're in a tough spot. It's hard, hard to know whether they're the, in a worse shape than you know somebody else. Um, but they're, yes, if this were two years earlier or three years later, uh, they would be in a, in a much more advantageous position compared to where they are now. This is a worst possible case for them in terms of timing, primarily for the marquee network. Now, this all this other stuff, you know, the overhead, the taxes, the fact that they own their own stadium has been a boon to them compared to some other places for a long time. So, I mean, that's an advantage um, in many ways. Now, there's other places with sweetheart deals that might as well own their own stadiums because they pay nothing for them and they get all the benefits of naming rights and things like, like the that. White Sox, like the White Sox. Exactly. 
but owning your own stadium does matter. For one thing, it makes your franchise far more valuable. They bought this team for $846 million. It's worth over $3 billion now if you, if you remove the effects of what we're going through right now. So we don't know what the, what the end fallout is going to be for this. But when it comes to the issues that the union and the, and the owners are trying to iron out now to come up with a financial agreement to restart, one thing to keep in mind, and this is a position that the players are taking, and, and I think reasonably so, most of the players involved, all of the players involved, have a limited amount of time to make whatever money they make. So their losses are, are a bigger piece of their long-term pie than, than uh, the, the owner's losses. The owners um, are in it for as long as they want to. It's, it's a business venture, and and they were making money hand over fist. Their franchise values were skyrocketing, and their and their labor costs were were not only stabilizing. They, their labor costs weren't coming close to keeping pace with their revenue increases the last few years. So they were in a massive, massively beneficial position to begin. Now they don't have revenues. And I do sympathize with a business that just simply has no revenues because of this. And that is a hardship, but it's a much shorter term hardship relative to their ability to recoup long term than it is for the players. And for, for them to ask the players to share equally in, in the financial risk, especially when you're asking the players to take the greater health risk, does, doesn't seem equitable. So... I talked to Dana White this morning. Dana White is the head of the UFC. He's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He's taken this fledgling thing 10 years ago and turned it into this unbelievably successful enterprise. And I said, Dana, you've been wildly successful in the sports world. What would you say to the major league players who today are being told by ownership we're getting destroyed financially. We're going to lose between 100 and $150 million of franchise because we will have zero ticket revenue, zero game day money coming in. We're getting crushed. And Dana White, who's as smart as they come, said if I was advising the players, I'd tell them you get take anything that they offer you because you're lucky. That, fr that industry for two years is going to get crushed. Yeah, that, that might be true. I do think – that there will be an agreement. Um, and I do think there's enough players that want to come back that they might, e they might even be willing to compromise on some of the, the harder lines that, uh, you know, some, some of the more, um, uh, some of the more, I guess, I don't know if principled is the right word, but maybe some Marconian. of the. <laughs> but, but, but I do, I do think that th this could be a case I'll tell you what's fascinating me, and I, and I actually discussed this with uh, some union people, um, and, it, and it hadn't really come up yet, but it does seem to me there might be a compromise in here, or, or whether this even relates directly to what we're talking about. There are people, I think we talked about Sean Doolittle a, a, a little bit. He, uh, he's got a wife with a pre-existing condition, and he talked about some of the health risks involved. There's people that are making a ton of money that can afford maybe to take a year away. And there's, and there's people that maybe just, look, you Darvish was afraid of this coronavirus in January before spring training ever started and wanted some assurances that he was going to be safe at, in spring training. There are people with various levels of fear of this for, for their own reasons. And what might be a compromise, it seems to me, is to allow for players to opt out of whatever agreement they wind up coming up with 
and maybe saying, okay, look, you have a multi-year contract. Uh, you can choose this year to opt out of this year of that contract, but without it affecting you in the future. Uh, or, or if you don't, if you're on a one-year contract, you can, you can opt out without it affecting your status with the team going forward into next year and, and come up with some kind of assurances that it won't be held against them if they're doing it for health reasons or, or reasons of principle. So there might be something there. Okay. So I've got to ask you when I heard Buster only say, as soon as they announce an agreement, it could be like ringing the bell at the stock market at 9 a.m. And yeah. boom, we're underway. He said, and you're going to see teams going, you want, pick the name, Chris Bryant. You want Whit Merrifield. Just start picking guys making significant money, and there are going to be teams going, just give me whatever back. Take the money. Take the money. I got to get the money off the books. He believes it could be like, the wild west do you agree no i think there might be a team or two there might be exceptions uh, but i can't I, I just can't picture i mean who's going to be taking on the money there's no money coming in you have to have two sides of this there might be all kinds of people offering players and contracts but what teams are going to be eager to take on money yeah, give me Chris Bryant. He's got uh, this year and next year under club control. and For, for $45 sure gonna, million. Dollars. Right. And for sure he's going to be a free agent after that. So I don't even have assurances that I have long-term uh, protection on that. Maybe if you want to give me Wilson Contreras because he's an all-star catcher, a potential MVP candidate, he's not making a whole lot of money this year, and I have extra club control over him. Sure, but those aren't the players that are going to be offered. They're going to be – the players that are going to be offered are going to be short-term big money assets. Who's going to take that on? Right. You want Jason Hayward? He's yours. Yeah. I mean, the, the, what idiot owner is going to take some of those, those, especially when you don't even know what the competitive scenario is going to look like this year or next year. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, there will be other things there. What, what might happen, a wild West that might happen is extensions is there there might be a complete rethinking on a lot of agents and teams parts uh, maybe maybe not so much teams but maybe agents parts and and being willing to accept team friendly deals for some sort of security moving forward i could see something like that because we have no idea what the free agent markets are going to look like do you believe that privately chris bryant he never admitted privately he's going all right, I foobarred this. I should have taken their extension offer. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but, but I also think I know him well enough. I mean, he dealt with the best information he had at the time and made choices that he was good with. Uh, I also think that he's not one of these guys that worries about whether he's going to be the highest paid guy out there. He's, he made uh, – 13 14 million last year he made 10 million the year before he was in line to make 18 and a half this year uh, if, if they play half a season he'll make half of that roughly this year uh, he's got enough now to live on he, he I had to talk with him in spring training about how long he might play and and you know he's just had a kid and, and he talked about that and he said he doesn't see himself as a guy that's going to try to squeeze out every year that he can play. And that at some point, you know, he's going to want to spend time with his kid while the kid's still growing up. So I see him with a 
pretty healthy perspective on life when it comes to things like that. So I don't think he's going to sit around and, and spend a lot of time regretting it. Do you think Chris Bryant is a Chicago Cub September 1, 2021? No. No. I think he, he, he's probably in line to get traded, if not this offseason, at the, at the trade deadline next year, assuming that there's some normalcy at that point to the season because I still don't, I still don't see uh, an extension. I don't see a long-term extension. And see, that's the other side of this too. What are, what's the market going to bear for any sort of contract or extension when, when revenues are hit as hard as they are for this year and maybe next year? Because even if, even if the pandemic has mostly passed going into say spring training next year and we've got it under control, we've got testing, we've even got maybe even got vaccines. I'm not so sure. I don't think anybody's going to count on that suddenly attendance is going to go right back where it was. Uh, and so there will be some financial deflation within the game going on. It's just a matter of how long. So I see free agent contracts being sort of one-year propositions as as players and maybe even teams wait out what the markets are going to look like. Um, so I, you know, I'll throw in a caveat when it comes to Chris Bryant, a scenario like that might actually improve the chances of the Cubs signing him beyond 2021, but maybe on a short-term deal. It's an interesting, all right, we've got to take a break. We come back. Theo Epstein has always talked about an executive needs a new challenge after 10 years. I'm going to give you Theo Epstein's next challenge. We'll take a time out. We'll come right back. This is the Cubs Talk Podcast. All right, welcome back on our Cubs Talk Podcast, brought to you by Wintrust, home of Cubs Checking, with Gordon Wittenmeyer, our producers, Tony Gill, Jeff Nelson, I'm David Kaplan. So Theo has always said that Bill Walsh had this philosophy. You say 10 years, the people you, that work for you need to hear from a new voice, and you need a new challenge. And so you move on. And Theo has kind of, always said to us, yeah, I could see myself 10 years be gone. So after the 21 season, his 10 years will be up here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you his next challenge. No oh boy, this has got to be good. It is navigating the Chicago Cubs through the post-pandemic times. Wow. But the ultimate challenge, Theo, we're going to let you tear it apart. Financially, we're getting crushed. We're going to let you do whatever it is you need to do. Here's a new five-year deal. Fix it. Build it however you think it needs to be built. Everyone's going to give you a blank slate because of what's going on, and it is the absolute one-in-a-million challenge that no one's ever had to deal with. Wow, that's, that's, that's fascinating. If, well, let me throw this out there. If he's going to do something like that, why do it here? Why not do it somewhere else? He could, he could take on any number of challenges. He could go to a place that's never won before, like Seattle. And how about this one? What if there's enough backlash? What if there's enough unrest at the highest levels of this game over the next year or two? That he becomes the commissioner? That he becomes the commissioner and takes it, takes it through the pandemic and takes it through the bad times. Yeah, I just don't see him wanting to be a suit like that. I think he wants to be in a locker room and he wants to be – you know, scouting guy. Like, I think he wants the ultimate challenge. Oh, okay. I've got a payroll here that is redlined, and now I've got to move money. 
All right, Tom, here's the deal. I'll take an extension, get out of my way, and let me do whatever it is I need to do and understand I'm going to tear it apart and rebuild it again. Well, my two thoughts on that are he comes into the game with a, a lot of passion for the game, you know, even even romance for the game in a way that the current commissioner doesn't. And he's brilliant. That, yes. And so, like the previous commissioner, people have people can have all the – all the issues they want with Bud Selig and, and maybe rightfully so uh, maybe they don't think he's the greatest commissioner he had all kinds of issues, but nobody says that Bud Selig didn't love the game, have a passion for it and care about the best about the history of the game, understand it. He, he, he had a, a soulful feel for the game. Um, whatever you might think of uh, some of the results of, of his commissionership, this guy, uh, Manfred, not so much. I mean, he doesn't really come from the same kind of baseball background. He's a, he's a sort of a, he's a lawyer. He's kind of an efficiency guy, kind of a, a money guy, uh, first and foremost, and really maybe almost all. And so there might be a part of Theo that were he to get that opportunity, might be drawn to uh, doing something that was bigger and better for the game. As far as the financial side of it, I've made the case more than once that for much of his tenure in Chicago, he was more the business operations guy than the actual business operations guy because of what he did to navigate some of their uh, spending restrictions and debt problems his first five years to build that winner. And we could, I mean, we could get into the weeds on that, but it involved a, a lot of uh, maneuvering around financial limitations that, ultimately wound up with being able to sign a big guy like uh, Lester probably a year or two early. And, and even a guy like uh, whatever you think of the contract, um, Jason Hayward, definitely a year or two early. And the amazing thing is that Theo has been very open. We're not going to make the kind of money you people think we're going to make on TV, at least for the next two or three or four years. Right. right. Long term it might hit, but we missed out on our window to – I mean, drill it like the Dodgers and some of the other teams did. Theo's brilliant, man, other than just in baseball operations. No doubt. I mean, he's got a, a, one of the best analytical minds in the game that crosses well beyond just evaluating rosters and putting together baseball teams. So he, he's definitely equipped to do that. He, he, could, he could certainly do what you're talking about. And, and they're – the, the idea of a different kind of a challenge could, I could see that possibly being appealing to him because this idea, he said it last fall, like what you referred to, the marquee network isn't going to bring big money in, big, big additional resources in, in the first couple of years, he said, and that seemed to align with what their perceived competitive window is. So uh, it looked like you were talking about maybe two years and you're going to be reconfiguring some things anyway. Now with the pandemic and what that's doing to revenues and what, what it's doing to the timeline of when Marquee might be able to bring in money, my God, now we're measuring it in, in, in years maybe beyond those two years. Who knows where this goes? I mean, it, it, we just, it, it, who knows? I, it's, it's, we can sit here and, and, and talk about scenarios, but we just, we don't even know how long this is going to last. We don't know how long the shutdown is going to last or fans won't be allowed in the stands. Okay, so you and I talked on Sports Talk Live. I'm going to ask you here on the podcast, Buster Olney, and I played the clip twice on my radio show today. Buster Olney says, 
the Chicago Cubs of all the major market teams might be in the worst position with what's going on with the pandemic because 70% in his opinion, and I have these numbers from someone at MLB, 70% of their game day revenue and game day experience make up what they bring in in revenue because they're not getting the big hit off of marquee yet. And that the Cubs with a red line payroll of $218 million might be in a really tough spot and have to move some players. Do you agree with that? It depends on how you define might have to move some players. First of all, the Cubs start that whole scenario in a position of advantage. They, they're a very high revenue team. They've, they've, in theory, because of suppressed payrolls, because of an artificially low luxury tax level, banked money, in theory. Now, we, can, you know, we don't know what their books are. What have they, we know they've spent on renovations and they've bought up land around there, but all those also come with, with value added too. So they, they've spent less than they can afford by definition on payroll for a few years now. So I'm, I'm not convinced that they're so much worse off. And the other side of that is, so what if they think they need to get rid of players? Where are you going to send these contracts? Who's going to take these contracts? Even if you're not asking for anything in return, but just taking the money off the books. Because everybody's got this same issue. Nobody has revenue right now. So whether you're in the worst case, if, if you want to make the case that the Cubs are in, the, in a worst case scenario than, say, the Yankees or the Braves or the Dodgers or, or, or some other team, they're still in bad shape. Those are still teams with no revenue. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to be in a posture to take on salary. It's just not going to happen. So I don't know how that movement, the, the, the only way any of that movement makes sense is if there's a long-term gain to be had from picking off some of those players. And we're, we're talking about, in, in most of those cases, players that, are on, that, don't, that don't have club control for, for as long as would make that viable. The interesting thing will be if we get baseball back and we do get a financial settlement, do the Cubs look at it and go, we've got all these players under contract, they agree with you and they can't move certain guys? Like, do they put the pedal down and try to win right now? Or does it just exist? Well, by right now, if you mean 2020, if we get restarted, everybody's going to do that because – it's it's the same kind of it's the same kind of concept as as a short series in the playoffs. You might be able to steal a playoff berth the way they've got this. They've got nearly half the league is going to qualify for the playoffs, and you're only going to have to play half a season. One one bad break goes against a good team that could keep it out. Uh, a couple of good things happen for a team that we didn't think would be competitive, and that could put you know that could a good start suddenly makes, makes a, a team that otherwise wouldn't be competitive in the mix. So um, I think everybody, I think that's the way you have to look at any kind of a sprint. Every single game matters. And yeah, you go all in. There's, there are a few players out there who could be available that, that in, in possible trades. I've seen, I've seen some of these reports out there with it. This could be a guy that could be a, a, a difference maker in a short season, not talking about money, talking about baseball decisions. Yeah, I could see I could see that and I could totally see going all in and depending on how an asterisk abbreviated 
type of a season finishes for a team like the Cubs, who already have players in place, short-term, albeit, it could change the way you look at going into 2021. It, it, could, it could at least influence what that looks like. The, if the, it, whoever wins it, let's just say it's the Chicago Cubs. They win the World Series in 2020, albeit an 82-game schedule, and they find a way, and they win it. Will this season be looked at with an asterisk, like, yeah, whatever? Or will it be, hey, man, those are the rules everyone played under. You won another World Series. I think if they can avoid teams shutting down for two weeks, if they can, if they can somehow navigate the health aspects of this and play an 82, a half a season, if they can play three months and then a, and an expanded playoffs, I think time will soften the edges of the, of the notion of it being any different. I mean, look at 1981, two months gone in the middle of the season, they, they just froze the first half in place and those teams qualified for the playoffs. Some of them having played five to seven games fewer or more than other teams and they just froze them. And then they played a second half that was a little more uniform and the second half winners went over time when the playoffs expanded that season's playoffs looks very similar to modern day playoffs um, in, in terms of how many rounds and the, and the way the champion was decided. And so I think that uh, I don't think anybody looks back on 81 with the same level of asterisk in mind as they might have in 85. Uh, and I think the same thing would happen in this case. Yeah, it's going to be, I would think we're going to hear a lot of posturing. The owners are going to be dug in on one side the players are going to be dug in on another side. We're going to hear, well, we probably won't have baseball. We can't come to an agreement. The average fan who's either lost their job, taken a pay cut, terrified about their health for them and their family are going to go, yeah, whatever. And then cooler heads will prevail and there will be an agreement. Yeah, I think, uh, I think there will be an agreement. I, I, it's just not going to be immediate. And, uh, and there'll be some, there'll be a bad look to it for a while. Even and, and I, I fall on the side where where we stand right now, where some of the issues lie right now, I'm on the players' side on this as who's being more uh, reasonable and has maybe the bigger, the, 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 the higher ground when it comes to negotiating uh, where they're at. But the problem is, in the real world, it's not going to look good either way. And even if, even if everything gets done for the right reasons, ultimately, and, 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 uh, but this becomes a bitter public relations, uh, sort of black eye, then, you know, it could wind up being just, it, it could, it could just wind up being a, a long, longer term negative for the game. Anyway, a game that already is suffering from uh, national interest compared to some of the other games. Yeah. You look at the negatives from the 94 strike to the steroids, to the Astros, to this, uh, it could be a really ugly situation. So hopefully cooler heads prevail because I said this morning on the radio, and I'll say it to you here, look, I'm not taking the side of the owners. I'm not taking the side of the players. Both sides are going to have to move to come to an agreement because yeah. the industry is getting crushed. And just take the revenue sharing thing out. Come on, you, you, you know what that is. And, and I'll point something else out. It, it, this is part of my feeling on, on um, the players having a higher ground on this. The clause in the agreement that they came up with in March that suggests looking at the terms again if we discover that we can't have fans, it's legalese. 
if you go back and look at it, it's not, it's not clear. There's, there's a difference of opinion on what it means. And, and from the player's perspective, they, they think that their prorated salaries have already been negotiated. From the management standpoint, they feel like there's additional circumstances that have arisen that open it up based on this one line. And I'm, I'm, it, it seems disingenuous from the owner standpoint that that is so fundamental, that notion of opening it up again, if opening up the agreement again, if there's no fans allowed, we knew the likelihood was there was going to be no fans. And so for you to go back now and suggest, well, now we have to renegotiate because we're not going to have the attendance revenue. That smacks of trying to sneak a line in that agreement that your lawyers could look at later instead of just discussing it at the time and hashing it out when there was plenty of time to Why do Why the players agree to it? They've got smart, highly paid attorneys. The players say that it doesn't mean what the owners say it means. The players feel like they did. I'm saying that if that's, if that's, uh, if that's a clause in that agreement that you as owners feel is important enough that you can go back and renegotiate, that it's a legal standing position. And that's a very fundamental position. If that wasn't disingenuously put in there to sneak it in as, as legalese that you could try to find a loophole for later, then why didn't you bring it up as, as, a, as a priority part of your negotiated time and talk in real language to the other side of the table about what that would mean? Yeah, but the bottom line is, Gordo, at the end, if that clause was snuck in there, put in there with everyone's blessing, whatever the case may be, you got lawyers making $1,000 an hour representing the Players Association. When they look at the finished agreement, they go, uh-uh, that's coming out. They signed it. It's, it's, it is being disputed. What it means is being disputed. It is anything but crystal clear. It's lawyer talk. It's legalese. And so what, what, it's, what it's done is it's, it's created a gray area that should have been anything but a gray area. It should have been discussed on its face for what it was at the time. Instead, it's legal gray area that the owners are trying to leverage. That's the way it looks. If, if this was so important, then how is that not discussed clearly as, as a high priority term of this and not just a line in a 20 page agreement that's gray? That it's being disputed. It's not something that the players think they signed off on. It's not something that their lawyers believe they signed up on to, and they read it. Right. It's in dispute. All right, we will be back at you again with another podcast. That's a wrap for this edition of our Cubs Talk podcast. Lengthy, but fun as always. I will talk to you soon. Stay safe and healthy, kid. You too, Cap. For the Cubs Talk podcast brought to you by Wintrust, home of Cubs checking. Talk to you next time. See ya. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.